Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 130, and Volume 6 of our exclusive Nymph coverage. It's New York Musical Theater Festival. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and if you haven't been to any of the Nymph shows yet, you still got time to catch it. It goes through October 7th. $20 shows, a lot of developing musicals, a great chance to see stuff before you hear of it later on. Uh... Yeah, you visit nymph.org for more information. That's nymf.org. We've got interviews, music, and live performances from four shows this week. We've got Boy in the Bathroom, The Last Starfighter, Emma, and The Yellow Wood. With all this going on, I'd be remiss to remind you guys that if you've been listening online, you can listen on your iPod or in iTunes and not miss an episode by subscribing in iTunes. Just go to broadwaybullet.com and hit the subscribe in iTunes button and you will never miss miss an episode. Also, we really could use some reviews from people. They've been slacking. We've been dropping on the feature list uh, in the art section on iTunes, and those are directly tied to the number of five-star reviews. So drop in on iTunes when you get a chance, if you've got an account, and please, please, please give us a five-star review and tell us what you think of the program. Helps more people discover it. It's something easy you can do. But let's not waste any more time and jump into the program. On the boards. It's a story everybody can relate to. We all have that crazy friend, brother, relative who just refuses to come out of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's the subject of the show, The Boy in the Bathroom, that is now at the Nymph Festival. And we have an interesting mix of actors here from the show, I have to say. We have got a brand new light to the New York scene. We've got a young career talent, and we've got an established veteran all here in the studio to give their perspective on the boy in the bubble. How are you guys doing? Boy in the bathroom. That's ah, Wait, boy that's in the bathroom. That's a different show. <laughs> <laughs> is, I think there is a different show called, called there that. There yeah. is. There's also a movie. You all want to introduce yourselves so the listeners can connect your voice with your face and oh, your name and what sure. you Sure. I'm Michael Zoller, and I play David in The Boy in the Bathroom. And I'm Mary Stout, and I play Pam, David's mother. And I'm Anna Nogueda, and I play Julie. And Julie is? Julie is um, the young woman who comes to work for David's mother after she has an accident and breaks her hip. And through the bathroom door, her and David start a romantic relationship. Wow, that's a great way to start a relationship. I know. <laughs> yes, even it's a way the internet. In a way. It's dating without looking. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yes. Well, that probably segues pretty well into what, what. Tell us a little bit about what Boy in the Bathroom is about. 
Um, Boy in the Bathroom is about a young man who's 24 turning 25 um, during the course of the play with obsessive compulsive disorder who has locked himself in his bathroom for a year. Um, when the play begins, it's been a year. And, um, you know, the, the play is about, is about obsessive compulsive disorder to some degree, but it's really about fear more than anything else. And um, I think it's, it's kind of anybody who, to, to some degree, anybody who doesn't want to get out of bed one morning and says, I'm just not going to anymore. I'm just not going to face the world. And it's about his relationship with his mother, who um, enables him to stay in there through her actions, who, through feeding him under the door and um, not, you know, pressing him to come out, and about what happens to him when this young woman arrives to take care of, of Pam, um, his mother, and lets him, uh, and that relationship allows him to see that maybe there might be something that's worth leaving for. Um, it's a really beautiful story, and people have related to it in a, a very positive way, which has been really exciting for us. Now, Michael, you just recently appeared in the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. I did. I did a year of the first national tour. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so how was that going out on tour? Oh, it was the time of my life. Best, best year of my life. It was a dream come true. Like, absolutely fantastic job. Unbelievable company. I mean, I can't talk enough about... Um, the other eight actors that were part of that company with me and and the covers in that company. I mean, everybody was amazing. It was the best time. The group was just really close, really close-knit. The show, as I'm sure most people know by now, <laughs> three, years, three years into it, um, is just a smart, incredible, funny, wonderful show and... Um, just a gift to be part of, and I'm really, really lucky that I got to be part of it. It's a show I, I first saw it when I was still in college, when it was at second stage, even before it moved to New York, and you see something when you go, oh, that'd be so great to do one day. You don't actually think <laughs> you're going to get to do it one day, and then you do, and it's amazing. So <laughs> it was great. And Mary, you yes. are a familiar face to theater goers here in the New York scene. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I know you've done just, just how long I've been around. That's all. <laughs> I know you've done Jane Eyre, and there's probably many, many people familiar with you for your role as you were Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. No, or, I was. No, I was the chest of drawers. Oh, the chest. Of, okay, <laughs> Madame de la Grande <laughs> Yes. <laughs> originated on that, correct? Um, no, I no. originated the national tour. Okay. Um, You've done a few other things then, because I've seen your yeah. name everywhere. I see your name all the time. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, good. Uh, well, She's a hard worker. Well, this is good. I this know that because I knew you, and I was excited when you. I saw you in another Lots, nymph show last year. That's you right. Did Night of the Hunter. Lots of wonderful free theater. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And and I love I love being a part of new projects. It's sort of. It's sort of what sends me, and uh, you know, I I love doing the I love doing the nymph things because they are so original and so innovative and so out there, and like this piece, I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty out there, and it's and yet and yet, one person after another keeps coming up and saying, I related to it. It was so universal, you know, and can't believe sense. it. So many yes. people have said to me. I can't believe how relatable it is. I can't believe yes. it. I say, well, because believe these it. three people, uh, unlike other families, etc., <laughs> these three people are stuck. 
they're either enabling each other or they're keeping it, you know, they're, they're all stuck in their own way. And they're waiting for that catalyst. They're waiting for that thing to, to change it all up, you know, and give them the courage or give them the whatever to, to go on and do something different. And, and have take a better a life and take a risk. And, and unfortunately, we're, we're stuck, you know. And that's what's so, it's so interesting. Who, who hasn't, and also, too, who hasn't wanted to, to you know, to crawl inside bed, uh, your, mm-hmm. their bed or, or hide in a box or, you know, who hasn't wanted to, you know. The thing is also with the piece, what, they, what Michael and Joe did, I think that's so brilliant, is three characters that are so different and going th- each going through really their own particular s- difficult situation that it's just impossible to not relate to somebody you know to f- to see yourself in one of them maybe you're not going through the same experience as David you're not feeling stuck in that way but maybe you're like Julie mm-hmm. and you know can't wait to get or couldn't wait to get out of your hometown or just wanted to be anywhere else you don't know where just not here <laughs> you know well that probably leads into the, the next the song that uh, Anna you're, you're making your New York debut with this I show am. correct it's and very exciting so you're not equity yet which no. the main benefit is that during this nymph coverage you actually get to perform unfortunately equity is not allowing the equity right. actors to perform in the studio so before we chat a little bit more, maybe uh, do you want to do your first song here? Sure, absolutely. Um, this first song, this is Julie's entrance into the show. Uh, it's called Never. Um, and it's basically introduces Julie's point of view on on life and her situation. She's stuck like David and Pam um, and feels like her life has been a, a long line of disappointments and that no matter what she gears herself up to do it never turns out like she wants it to. Alright, and who's going to be playing piano for you today? Andrew Dixon who we love. It's never like you think it's going to be You can never get ahead You think you'll see Japan or Italy But you spend your whole life in Michigan instead It's never how you think it's gonna go All the money you think you save You somehow blow You never even know what you owe It never goes how you think it's gonna go It's never like you think it's gonna be Not for me or anyone I know It's never like you see on TV was then that would be one fucked up show it's never quite as easy as it seems you never come across the right way no one ever says what they mean and nobody ever means what they say it's never quite as easy as it seems to change your life start today when i get a car i will follow my dreams and drive far far away so as we just mentioned anna this is your new york stage debut it is how long have you been in new york um i moved here in june 
I just graduated from college. I went to Boston Conservatory, and um, I sort of went on the, the normal conservatory path. We showcased. Um, I, I got an agent, and then I moved to New York, and I just started auditioning like crazy. And Michael Luberis, the writer-director, called me, and he needed a last-minute audition, and I showed up and got it. And it was, I feel really lucky. I feel like, you know, I'm not having to pay my dues in doing this show because I care about it <laughs> and I care about the story and I care about the people and I, I loved working with everyone. Um, so this is exactly the sort of work I wanted to be doing when I graduated. And she's really good. <laughs> really good. Okay. I actually got to be at that first audition. Which was, I'd never been in a situation like that before. And, and I got to read with her, and it was exciting, and she's fantastic. Have you been learning a lot working with this uh, experienced cast? Oh, my God, so much. Um, I feel like, you know, you learn more doing professional theater than you could ever learn in school, watching how um, they take direction, watching how they talk to the director and go home, do work, come back, take risks. Those are all things that you really can only learn from experience and watching them. And also, the most important thing is everyone maintained such a fantastic sense of humor um, throughout the entire process. And that's something that I was, I was worried I wasn't going to get anymore in a professional show. It was all going to be, you know, so serious and everyone was going to be doing their job. And, and it was really a light, wonderful family atmosphere. So... We've laughed a lot. Yeah. A lot. Probably <laughs> too much. In the, in, I'm thankful yes. for that, though, because oh. the show, it, after a while, um, it weighs it's, on your spirit. It's, it really it's does. very difficult. Yeah. Um, it's a di difficult old journey for each one of us. Yeah. We each have a very, you know, I mean, with Pam, it's, it's an unraveling. And, you know, it's different for the, for the kids. But, but it's... Uh, but it's difficult emotionally. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the audience, I think it's incredibly rewarding. I think um, something happens in the theater that's really that's really special. I'm I'm feeling so far, and they keep adding more shows too, which is good. Yeah. yeah I was um, about to get into. You're one of the geez. hits of the festival. You've added a apparently. I feel like it's, a like, it was like, show. A, it's like a sleeper hit of the festival. Yeah. Really. Yeah, really. It's, really. it's such a it's a small piece, you know, and it's not a toe tapper. It's not. It, does, yeah. it doesn't come with a big fanfare, you know, but it's touching people in a really a personal way and that's the best thing you could hope for so mm -hmm. so how much notice do you get when they hand you extra dates <laughs> and, and how much ju schedule juggling do you have to do to get it <laughs> to not work? a lot it, it sort of depends um they they approached us after the show on sunday night to ask about this next week to ask about if we would be available to do an extra show on friday and uh i guess we all said yes because sort of <laughs> yes we're doing a 4:30 on friday the 28th Correct? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The remaining shows are on Friday the 28th at 4.30 and Saturday the 29th at 1 p.m. Uh -huh. So uh, listeners should get there quick. Get there quick. <laughs> we only have 99 it. seats, so, you know, people need to really buy their tickets ahead of time, just to be sure. <laughs> so now we got another song here mm -hmm. that you're going to perform for us. Uh, do you want to tell us what this one is about? Yes. This is... Um, Julie's last song in the show, so a lot has happened in between <laughs> these two. Um, basically, at this point, her and David have have really fallen in love with each other, whether or not 
she says it. Um, and she's leaving. The mother has just given her money and car keys to get out of town, which is what she always said she wanted. And she wants David to get out of the bathroom and come with her. And he won't. Uh, and he tells her that he loves her through I the door. I have to go through that with my girlfriend every morning. Get out of the bathroom. <laughs> it's probably different. different yeah, different. <laughs> Curling iron, OCD, different things. Um, and he says, he tells, right before the song, David tells Julie that he loves her. And then she sings this song basically saying, that doesn't count unless you open the door and say it to my face. And the song is called, Say It To My Face. <laughs> All right. David, if you really want me, then you have to let me know. If you really want me, if you want me not to go, because David, I will go. Say it to my face You want to be with me but you're all over the place You say that you love me, David Say it to my face I can tell a guy who's two-faced I can see it in his eyes His face is saying one thing So, um, like I said, there's only two more performances, and we talked about that. What theater is this playing at? It's at the 45th Street Theater on 45th between 8th and 9th Avenue. Imagine that. Logical naming. Right. And Imagine one, that. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to say, we've given the the impression of this being, you know, dysfunctional and, and OCD and all this drama and this emotional thing, but... There's really a lot of humor in this show as oh, well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think just situational humor, first off. And I think that the fellas, the, the writers have done such a... Michael and Joe have done such a great yes, job. Yes, give their full names. I think we need to give uh, okay. a shout-out to the writers here. <laughs> okay. Michael Dubaris and Joe Maloney. Yeah. Are the writer and Are the, the composer. Yes, the writer-director. Writer-slash-director. Yes. And the composer. Yes. Yeah. And but it's very it's very they have because it. just, yeah. it's a, it's an absurd situation in a lot of ways and I think they've they've found a really great balance of dealing with it incredibly seriously and sensitively but also allowing it to be absurd when it's absurd and so it sort of gives you a little of everything yeah. you know it's it's funny it's real it's dramatic it takes you on a journey and the show sort of gets dramatic just when. The audience has been pulled in enough with all of the humor, and then suddenly, before they know it, they care about these characters, and serious things start happening. Yeah. Yay. 
Well, hopefully this isn't the last we see of the boy in the bathroom. Hopefully and not. I thank you guys so much, thank Michael you. Zaylor, Anna Nigeria, and Mary Stout for coming thank by you. and chatting. It's thank been a lot you. of fun. Thank you Appreciate so much. It. On the boards. Space, the final frontier, and I think a, a big wish for people participating in the New York Musical Theater Festival. And we have a musical dealing with space in The Last Starfighter, which is going on at the New York Musical Theater Festival. We have three of the people involved with the show sitting here with us. How are you guys doing? Very good. You want to introduce yourself, say what you're doing with the show? Hi, I'm Elizabeth Lucas. I'm the director. I'm Joseph Kolinsky. I'm playing Centauri. I'm Skip Kennan. I'm the composer and lyricist. All right, so let's start off with the basic. For people who aren't familiar with the movie this is based on, what is the musical The Last Starfighter about? Well, it takes place in a trailer park in the Sierra Nevadas, <laughs> and it's about a, a bright kid um, who plays this video game extremely well, not realizing that uh, it's an audition machine for uh, becoming a star f- outer space warrior. It's a significant movie in that when it came out, it was the first one that used computer-generated graphics. And it's also was at a time when people had all these conspiracy theories that the government was using video games to train people for the military and all of this. So this movie, which just kind of took that sort of paranoia and had a lot of fun with it. People aren't using video games to train people. (laughs) (laughs) But they are. They are. (laughs) They are, and they sell them to you now. (laughs) (laughs) So... What made you decide that this was going to be a great project for a musical? Well, it has a lot of heart. Uh, I mean, the show is not a send-up in any way. It really is a quite emotional story, though it's, there's loads of funny stuff in it. And um, it just sang to me when I watched it, in a, you know, and then I put it in the back of my mind, well, if I could ever get the rights to a, a fairly famous movie, I'd, I'd like to do a musical of this. And then uh, um, Fred Landau, the book writer, mentioned that well, he loved the movie and wanted to make a musical of it. And so uh, we started to pursue the rights and got it. How, was, how easy was that? Um, at first it was daunting because both movie companies, Laura Marr and I think, uh, gosh, one of the biggies, uh, uh, said, no, you can't have the rights. And then Fred really was persistent and dug uh, further and found out they didn't have the rights. Uh, <laughs> the rights uh, were with the original screenplay writer. He, his, uh, the, there was such high bidding on the original script that he was able to negotiate keeping the stage rights and television rights. Wow. So, and, Who says uh, writers don't have power rare. in Hollywood? <laughs> That's the one instance where the writer was the one in control, maybe. Well, there's several. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we go further, why don't we play the first song from, uh, well, you said it started off as a demo, but it ended up being released by Kritzerland uh, Records on the soundtrack. But we're going to play one of the tracks here. Do you want to set this first one up? Sure. This is when Centauri, the man who uh, invented the machine, uh, comes and picks up Alex, the boy who broke the record on the machine, and sort of kidnaps him in his cool-looking car, which turns out to be a space vehicle. All right. Let's take a listen. What's this called? Out of This World. All right. I've got a proposition for you. It involves the game. A huge opportunity. Opportunity? I sure could use the money for college. You see, I, I just got turned down for this loan. And... Sure. Why not? Wonderful. Out of this world. My boy, you're out of this world. You hit one out of the ballpark, up through the blue, and you blew by a star. 
no one on earth, my boy, there's no one on earth can hold a candle or flare or dare to compare to the rocket you are. And we should partner up, make a team, we'll be a dream team with me. You'll see your true potential leap up exponentially out of this world. My boy, it's out of this world. When opportunity knocks off your socks, it's out of this world. Excuse me, there's a speed limit out here, you know. Hey, watch out! Out of this world, we're flying out of this world. Out of this world. We make a right turn at Mars, past quite a few stars and a black hole or two. God, this thing itches. Out of my mind, have I gone out of my mind? This was a cool GTO. In water, you know, it's some fool UFO. And we. Team up one abductee, one lizard ET. You'll see. We'll both be famous practically, intergalactically, out of this world. The future's out of this world. Just listen, Rylos is calling with fortune and fame. Rylos, the world in your video game. Yep, that's the deal. The whole thing is real. Well, that's the appeal. It's out of this world! Well, Elizabeth, I know from your directing experience <laughs> last year with Nymph that you're pretty uh, familiar with taking things that are not creative staging for things that probably need to be a little bit more elaborate. Yes. And is that part of what got you involved in, in this show? Because I'm guessing ideally this would be like, you know, sets flogging in from everywhere and turntables and the wings and things <laughs> well, sure, flying through the sure. rafters. So. With any nymph show, you want, to, uh, <laughs> you want to strike a balance between giving people the environment and the tone of the show without trying to do more than you can do in the amount of time and space and tech time that you have. So yes, it's always a creative... Uh, challenge to do a nymph show and uh, I would say though between my show last year which was also a bit sci-fi it, it was kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of sci-fi uh, mm -hmm. so it's actually a completely different set of challenges and in fact this year we have a, um, a lighting designer uh, Herrick Goldman who is who has been bringing us lighting toy after lighting toy it's actually going to be I think pretty visually a very exciting show uh, in the context of a festival, it's it's kind of over the top a little bit. And Joseph, you've been involved with the show for a little while, I take it? For some time, yeah. Um, I, I uh, may be one of the first to ever sing any of the music from the show. Uh, Are you going to be Yule Brenner to the last Starfighter? Uh, Yule Brenner. Uh, uh, Robert <laughs> Preston, actually, more. Uh, but um, uh, it, actually, that's what's my big challenge in this is because Robert Preston played the role in the movie. And... and um, even the cadence of the lines, it sort of sounds like him. It feels like him. So I, I, I try to work against that a little bit, but then I don't want to work against it too much also because uh, Robert Preston's pretty cool. You know, I mean, he does a great job. Um, so whatever sort of filters out comes out. I, there's a little Joe Kalinske and a little Robert Preston maybe together. So what has been the process? Well, how long has this been in development and performed and various things? 
Well, we performed it two years ago, and uh, why we did that crash thing was to get it out there, but also to secure uh, and merge the rights. So Fred and I own the show now. Uh, no one can take it away from us. Um, many people have to do 21 performances on Broadway before those rights are merged. And you can say, it's a musical. Mm -hmm. No, you know, someone else has to, can't get the musical rights. But we had a great contract and we're able to do that. And uh, we also, it was a great way to explore the piece at that time. Yeah. So uh, let's jump into the next song from the soundtrack, the Broadway, or the original cast recording here. You want to set this one up? Well, this one, Alex is out in space, and he's about ready to, well, fight the battle of his life. And um, his girlfriend, uh, Maggie, is back down on Earth, and she's just found out that he's no longer on Earth, and he's up there, and she's just watched a car crash thinking it was him and, and learned that it wasn't him. And, and so you have these two people in different places literally reaching out to each other. And this one's called Reach Out. Okay. <laughs> oh, Alex. Oh, Alex. If all he said is true, please tell me what to do. Safe and free 
So, what are the challenges you're currently facing now as you get ready to open the show up? Well, I'm looking forward to tomorrow when we get our set pieces in rehearsal. So our biggest next challenge uh, is uh, putting all of that together. Uh, it's a lot of actor-motivated scenery moving and uh, it, within the context of scenes and all of that. And so you get, as soon as you get physical things in the room, it's a whole new ballgame. It's game. awesome making the actors the techies, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but in character. So they have to act while moving things. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> we're actually in great shape, though. I mean, it's, it's uh, a fantastic cast. I mean, everybody is really on top of it. And uh, one wonderful group of people. So I'm privileged to work with them and they've been very flexible so far. So I'm sure we'll, uh, they'll plunge into the next step with as much zeal as they have plunged in so far. How large is this cast? 18. Wow. Yeah. That's, we're, uh... we're a big cast. <laughs> That's big for festival. <laughs> it's very big. I think we will fill St. Clemens stage just fine. Yeah. Just on, you know, people in their apartment buildings. <laughs> <laughs> so good to you well and in fact i know it is selling well because they've already added performances to this show haven't they yes we have extended we've added an extra performance so what is the opening date and the closing date for the last starfighter barring any additional extensions uh we open september 28th and close october 7th the last day of the festival well so i can't go later but other performances could get thrown in there in yes, the middle yes yes so, well, um, Elizabeth Lucas, Joseph Colin, Kolinsky. 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 Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> and uh, Skip Kennan, I thank you so much for stopping by to talk about The Last Starfighter. And uh, don't get, like, roped into the military on video, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> video game things. No, we'll avoid that. And best of luck with the show. Great. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks so much, much for having you. us. The Call Board. This week, the Callboard is sponsored by the Nymph Musicals, Cut Man the Musical, and Like Love. Stay tuned for a commercial of those. Also, by myself. I have a recording studio here in Times Square, if you haven't figured that out already. I record lots of stuff, not only musical theater, but pop, rock, R&B. I really specialize in vocal coaching and getting the vocals to sound right, although everything else is going to sound hot, too. Prices are reasonable. If you or you know somebody who's looking to record in New York, just give me a buzz at 646-345-3433. Or drop me an email at info at broadwaybullet.com. By the way, feel free. I'd love to hear your feedback. Just same place, info at broadwaybullet.com. Let me know what you think. Now for the call board items. On September 26th, Happy Days the Musical makes its paper mill debut. The limited engagement, which runs through October 28th, will officially open September 30th. Tickets priced $25 to $92 are available by calling 973-376-4343 or by visiting www.papermill.org. Glad to see the new season is underway after the troubles they were having last season. On September 26th, Porgy and Bess film returns to the screen. The 8 p.m. special screenings open to the public at Clearview Cinema's Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan. <laughs> 
you really should go to the Ziegfeld if you haven't. Ah, oh, beautiful screen. Um, we'll be followed by a discussion on the film and its director, presented by film professor and author Foster Hirsch. Tickets are on sale now at the Ziegfeld Theater box office at 141 West 54th Street in New York City and online at www.clearviewcinemas.com. October 2nd, Gerard Alessandrini's Forbidden Broadway will mark its 25th anniversary with a brand new edition of Forbidden Broadway, Rude Awakening, at the 47th Street Theater. Visit www.forbiddenbroadway.com for more information. The Yale Repertory Theater presents a staged reading of John Austin Connolly's new play about Siamese twins, The Boys from Siam, winner of the Yale Drama Series' first David C. Horn Prize, a major new award for emerging playwrights in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and the Republic of Ireland. But not, <laughs> not Czechoslovakia, I guess. On Monday, October 1st at 7.30 p.m., you can catch The Boys from Siam, the new theater... That's 1156 Chapel Street in New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, we talk about things outside of New York. Admission there is free on a first-come, first-served basis. Reservations made by calling 1-800-YSD-CUES, C-U-E-S. That's 1-800-973-2847. Strongly recommended. Seating is limited. He meets her. He likes her. She likes him. They meet regularly for great sex. Then love enters the picture. Things get complicated. Like Love, an intimate new musical. Book and lyrics by Barry J. Kaplan. Music by Louis Flynn. Winner of the Drama League New Works Award. Beginning September 20th at the TBG Theater, 312 West 36th Street. Be a part of the New York Music Theater Festival. For tickets, call 212-352-3101 or visit nymf.org. Like Love, being hailed as the best 75 minutes in theater. Call 212-352-3101 now. All his life, Ari Hoffman has dreamed of being the welterweight boxing champion of the world. Cutman, a boxing musical, presented by the New York Musical Theater Festival in Banner, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, Cutman chronicles the story of a young Jewish boxer's rise to stardom. But when his faith is tested, Ari Hoffman must choose between his ambitions and his religion. With an inspired original score by Drew Brody, written and directed by Jared Michael Casalia. Be the first to see the makings of a new musical. Cutman, a boxing musical. October 4th and 6th at the TBG Theater. Get in the ring at CutmanTheMusical.com. For tickets, go to nymph.org. That's nymf.org. On sale September 1st. On the boards. There is no doubt that Jane Austen has been receiving another mini-renaissance this past year with many movies out, including a biography of her life. And so it should be no surprise that with her works in the public domain that we actually have one in the festival based on her novel. Emma, the musical, is book lyrics and music by Joel Adlin, and he's here with us today to talk about the program. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Good. So um, I guess there's maybe a few people out there who don't know what Emma's about, so maybe a brief introduction as to what is the story of Emma? Oh, I thought, well, the book is about 360 pages, but the story is it's about a young matchmaker and uh, how she uh, tries to put these matches together, but her inevitable attempt just falls apart. And meanwhile, while she's doing this, she discovers things about herself. And... Uh, Without giving the plot away entirely, she does discover really where love is and, and what she is all about through it. So what uh, drew you to this story to 
adapt? You know, there uh, about six or ten years ago, there was a seri- There was, of course, the film, and then I started watching the PBS versions of Pride and Prejudice and other things. And I finally picked up the book, and I thought, wow, there's something to this. And um, my my genesis, my my basic nature is as of a composer. And I thought, oh, I'd like to write not a musical, but I wanted to write an opera or an operetta. So I started, and I looked at Emma, I thought, this is great. Central character, interesting, um, and let's see where we can go with it. Well, So it started off as an operetta, and next thing I know, I thought, no, she's got to talk. I mean, this is Jane Austen. So step by step, it became a musical. But it, it, it was one of these things where uh, I thought, gosh, th- there is so much possibility to sing and, and use ideas from Austen in just in crazy moments uh, throughout this book and that was kind of like going through my mind. I was working on this. So scene by scene, from taking one idea and then building to another, it became what it is for the festival. All right. Well, before we continue, uh, you brought in somebody from the cast who's not Equity to perform. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to introduce her and set up this first song? Yes. Uh, this is Kara, uh, Kara Boyer, who is playing Harriet. Now, one of the story, one of the, the uh, well, the essence of the story is Emma takes her protege, which is Harriet, she's from a different class, and tries to bring her, try to find a suitor for her. And of course, this, this misfires along the way. But one of the steps that happens is the uh, idea that she's going to transform Harriet to a new class, i.e. to become a lady. And this scene is just at the moment where she's letting go of the past, letting go of she fell in love with someone and it didn't work out and she's like these literal precious treasures are being thrown into the uh, uh, into the fireplace and this is the scene that she leaves her sense of I am you know this person who was of a lower class I have become a lady and this is the number all right and who's playing piano oh Chris, our <laughs> assistant musical director is Chris Kong on the piano all right I must burn, I must burn As I walk 
right, I'm going to take a little different direction on this one than I have recently. Okay. And that is on, uh, I had a really interesting debate just uh, last night with somebody, I'm not going to say who. Uh, <laughs> it's a blind item. Okay. On the, there's a lot of book music and lyrics by one person in mm-hmm. this festival. There's actually seems to be about almost a third in that this many? festival. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've found it interesting. We got in this debate. You probably heard it, and I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your take on it. That um, this person was extremely upset by this, thinking you know musicals are a collaborative art. You know, when they don't have somebody can do all three certainly, but not all at the same time was kind of oh, yeah, his yeah. comment. And I, I'm curious as to your take on that, being somebody who's done all three. Oh yeah. Well, um, you know, I've ghostwritten and as a writer with uh, other projects, and actually shall we say, came out as a librettist on other things, multimedia things and so forth, as well as a composer. But um, I started this piece with a writer, and he just didn't know where to go with it. And he <laughs> literally tossed the book down and said, well, good luck. Out he went. And I thought, well, wait a minute. What do I do now? And so I think part of it is is that um, I came to this piece going, okay, I'm going to work on this as a librettist first and then as a composer second, even though the music was in the back of my head. So actually, uh, when I was developing the piece, I went to writing workshops um, and walked in as a librettist. This was in Berkeley, California, where there aren't many librettists um, that are born and raised. There are a lot of playwrights, but not librettists. And so I walked in saying, I'm doing a libretto for a musical. And the, the teacher looked at me as though, well, what is this? And I said, just treat me like a playwright. So I worked from that point of view uh, and basically really just put a lot of time and energy into that element of it. And so that became the cornerstone from which I then wrote the music. The music actually was the last part. The the music, the book and the uh, words were the first. So um, I, whether or not it's a good or bad thing, it, it, it's, it depends. I mean, look at uh, the musical Oliver. That was done by one person. Or uh, look at, oh gosh, uh, from the night... The, from the 1950s, uh, The Boyfriend, another one. I mean, things happen that sometimes a composer, lyricist, and librettist can be one individual. And Dan Goggin wrote Nonsense on Right, his own. exactly, there's, exactly. There's definitely examples out there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, the, the bottom line, though, is when, you, when it says one person doing this, uh, there's truth to that, but there's another element to all of this. I mean, I'm working right now with Terry Berliner, who is amazing as a director. That has definitely influenced the piece. I've worked with David Hegarty and, more importantly, Leonard Moores, Len Moores, as the musical uh, vocal arranger and orchestrator also influences this thing considerably. So along the way, you actually do collaborate. You definitely collaborate. And even though it's your ideas and your brain is divided into three areas at once, you do step aside and you work as each of those at one time. But you're, you're in the end, hopefully being truthful to the material. Yeah, uh, I have to say, actually, I think one thing that's missing, I do believe that that it can be both, that it's a collaborative art form, definitely theater in general is a collaborative art form. But I have to say, over four years of watching the NIMH shows, and I think anybody who goes to see NIMH doesn't go expecting to see an absolutely perfectly finished, you know, ready-to-transfer Broadway production. It's a place to develop writers. Um, I'd have to say that I have not seen a correlation with the shows being drastically worse coming from <laughs> one person. And, uh, and if anything, I have to say that I've seen a little bit more cohesive of a vision. There's still problems in all areas that need to be worked out, but the vision seems to be a little bit more cohesive when it's from one person. And I personally think that's because the thing that's missing on a smaller scale when a bunch of guys are getting together to decide to write a musical is maybe what you said your problems with the librettists, is conflicting agendas. Right, right. And 
I, I think where collaboration works best in musical theater is when you've got one real dominant, when you've got a powerful producer who has a single-minded vision who is ultimately the boss. And then the writer's petty little squabbles can go to the side because ultimately they know that it's this guy that they're trying to go for the same thing. I'm not sure what that is altogether, but I, I almost think on a smaller scale, on a, on a new scale, it's maybe if somebody can tackle all three that it's, it's a smarter thing to do. It, it, well, rather than let it turn into this mess, right? The, the other part, the others, <laughs> I totally hear you. And the, the other part of that is um, consider, of course, a producer, but at the same time, look at a director. Um, if a director has a vision that works with the book, lyrics, and music, you know that could be another part too. Same could be said of a choreographer if the piece is dance based, which Emma isn't. But if it, a show were, that could be another way of looking at it as well. And definitely a producer, of course, kind of keeping all the elements together. That's assuming everyone gets along. And the good thing about being uh, the author, the lyricist, and librettist is we all get along with ourselves. So I'm doing all right. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> yeah, you brought your PR person along. He's oh in the yeah, back I, here know, I know. I know. So, well, you know what I call. Who wondering who that other? Right, right. Well, when I call a meeting with the composer and lyricist, we're together. I mean, yeah. you know, it works. It works. So, so yeah. I mean, not, and the other thing is, I mean, that's this show, and I, I am definitely moving forward with other things I want to do, and I'm really enjoying this one. But as I move ahead, it doesn't mean that I will preclude myself from just doing this all. You know, from other opportunities. I'm definitely my my background is as a musician, so I've done stuff as I've done film, silent film, things like that. So I'm very much used to being in different environments. But for this particular particular one, this is, because of the genesis of it and how what's come out of it, this is where I've been going with it. So. All right. Well, before we continue, uh, we should, we're should we going to play a song from the demo you recorded. Right, for... right. Uh, and this is John Patrick Moore as, uh, and this was recorded a while ago, uh, way before even Nymph happened. This is, um, he's singing, the, he's playing the role of Knightley. Uh, this is the piece called If I Loved You Less, and it, it's just at the moment where um, he turns to Emma Knightley. Oh gosh, I'm giving away the story a little bit, but anyway, he... musicals aren't about freshness. Sorry, in the story. Yeah, well, you know, you know, some suspense, right? You gotta have it somewhere, anyway. So it's it's a question. It's a question, you know. It's a do you love me sort of thing. So, all right. If I loved you less, I would say no more. But I love you, friend, and forevermore. If I knew you. But words were in the way I'd ask you listen closely For what I have to say I fell in love not long ago Or years before I do not know I can't recall but listen true I am yearning wanting you I never knew until this time You have been my heart's design as much as I love Just love me as a friend 
as once before. I only ask you gently before the words depart. Be truthful to yourself. Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. All right, I'm going to take a stab here and guess that this is a rather faithful uh, adaptation of Emma. Well, good stab, but. Well, it's its own thing. <laughs> it really is. What, what, there are other versions of Emma out there, first of all, uh, other musical versions and, and so forth. But part of what this is about is it, ta- it is faithful to the idea of the story, the inte- potentially the integrity of the work, right, the, the book. But what's behind it and what has happened over the past number of performances and prior to Nymph and even in this one is it's become its own thing, uh, meaning that it's become – a musical, I guess. You could say that, that uh, the, the backbone of it is Austin, but there is music that's helping tell the story as well. I mean, that's the whole musical side coming out. So already, one of the things that you face as librettist and lyricist is the question of, well, you can't take this novel of 360 pages, you know, condense it down to two hours and be that faithful. You have to do something. You have to find something in But it's not set in a Nazi concentration camp. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right, right, right. Exactly. It is. What we've done, we actually kind of put it, we keep, yeah, not, not, no, 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 not the producers, although, yeah, I I have a note, by the way, I want to just share with you about uh, Mel Brooks, just one one thought, um, because we use Yiddish here. No, 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 just, but but the idea is that um, it it still is keeping the through line of it, but along the way, and what happened was, I realized I, I still am in this century, and there's something about today I had to bring to this. I mean, the style of music you've heard already is like, so you have tango. What the hell are you doing with the tango? And there's modern music, too. So there's something about that I had to also bring to the words. And so we have like two two centuries, two cultures on top of each other to help tell this story, keeping with the thrower line, but also kind of going at two places at once to bring us to this story. So there's that. <laughs> Mel Brooks. Um, you know, I when I was working on Emma, um, a lower point in my life, <laughs> I was stuck in the Midwest. Uh, in Lansing, Michigan, which is, as they say, this is a visual. You're supposed to look at your palm and say right there in the middle, that's Lansing. That's, that's how they refer to it. Point is, I was not in a happy place. And I just heard on NPR Mel Brooks, uh, and he was just talking about the producers, which went to Lansing uh, during when it was traveling. But he said something to the effect of you have to believe in it. You have to believe from your, your, from your head, tippy of your head all the way down to your you know, toes. And I thought... Wow, that's it. That's it. I mean, and that's what happened with this thing with Emma. I just, it just thought, you know, no, this is it. This is what I, I mean. I'm having a great time with it, and this is what it is about. Whatever it is, but I'm saying that was inspiring, and, and that kept me going. So, you know, it's all run to see Young Frankenstein to celebrate, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Emma is October second through the seventh. Yep. And you can find the specific times and dates at nymph.org. It's at the Acorn Theater in Theater Row on Forty Second. And uh, Joel Adlin, I thank you so much for coming in and talking about uh, Emma. Thank you. And have a great run. Thank you very much. Take care. On the boards. Two roads diverged down a yellow wood, and a lead character in a new musical took one of them and a new direction. The Yellow Wood is a book and lyrics by Michelle Elliott and music and lyrics by Danny Larson, and the two of them are joining us here in the studio today. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> it's crazy time, I know, for you guys yep. at the show. So what is The Yellow Wood about? The Yellow Wood is about a 17-year-old boy named Adam who is half Korean and is memorizing the poem, the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken, which begins, two roads diverged in Yellow Wood for his English, English class that day. Right. Um, and he opts not to take his riddle in that day. He has severe attention deficit disorder. And... Um, to prove that he's normal to his family and to all of his friends, that he can memorize this poem without it. So he goes to school, and because he hasn't taken his riddle, and the as he begins to memorize the poem, this yellow wood out of the poem begins to materialize and infiltrate his school day and starts to take over, and he begins to have these wild daydreams involving the yellow wood um, that take him on these wild adventures and ultimately leads him down the road less traveled where he kind of takes his first steps into manhood. So it's kind of a coming-of-age piece, and he kind of learns what makes all the difference in his own life. Yeah, that's a really good summary of kind of the plot, I think. And, and like, what it's about, maybe, is um, just the, the chance that we all have to redeem ourselves and become the person that we want to be. And I think we chose to write about a teen character because we were really fascinated by teen audiences and trying to write something for them. Um, teen audiences are fascinating. Why did they come to the theater? <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't, I, I think the reason, well, I th I'd like to see them come to more theater that's written more specifically um, with their experiences in mind. Um, and, and so that's really what we tried to capture with the show. But I was also going to say that I, I think the the thing that we all kind of have, a com you know, Danny said coming of age, and I think we go through this transition in our lives where we stop being a child and take those first few steps into being an, an adult and having our actions um, kind of force us to deal with the, the ramifications of what we decide and which path we choose and that sort of thing. And so that's really something we were interested in exploring in the piece. All right. Well, before we continue, we should maybe play one of the songs here from your demo. That'd be great. Do you sure. want to set up this first song? Yeah, this first song is called Normal. Um, it happens early in the first act. It's um, kind of Adam's I Want song. Adam is the main character of the show, and he um, basically is, I mean, I think the, sh the song kind of speaks for itself. He's, he's basically in his hallway um, in the locker hall uh, at school right before first period begins, and um, this is kind of what he says and has to say about things. All right, let's take a listen. Normal day at school. Normal hallway crowd Normal smell of gruel Normal volume Loud normal concrete walls Normal bathroom stalls Almost everything's normal
got somebody rather interesting directing the piece and I, I bet a few people might have even heard of him though <laughs> they might not know him for his directing. Maybe. Yeah well this is the first uh, thing that he's directed for the stage. It's B.D. Wong is um, directing our show, the well-known Tony Award winning actor B.D. Wong and He's, um, Everybody else was like filling the end of your sentence in with law and order guy. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> law and order, special victims unit, and he's done a million movies. And but he has quite a, a, quite a history in theater as well. That's right, that's yeah. right. That's where he, uh, he started, started in theater. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes, and he's been wanting to direct for a while. And um, he was one of the adjudicators for the Nymph Festival. And so he read our script as part of that and um, contacted us and was interested in directing it. So that's what happened. So what, what did you think when B.D. Wong called you and said he wanted to <laughs> We didn't know what we thought. Yeah, yeah well, like, we didn't Tom, know what he wanted. Up, stop joking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, it was interesting because, we, you know, we obviously hoped that he wanted to have to do something with our show. But, um... It was fun. Like we, he called our agent, and uh, he continually called our agent to try and get us um, d- kind of a dinner appointment with us. Um, and you know, it was interesting because as we've kind of had more productions of this particular show, it's been interesting to kind of find out who it really speaks to. And I think it does speak to teens, but it also I, I've found kind of tends to speak to parents and people who have children, and especially children who are going through similar experiences that our main character Adam is going through um and and he has a child so has I, a, a yeah I think boy. as a father it really interested in him interested him and um and also there's a lot of, because of the because Adam's imagination is so rich and and uh, he ends up creating so many amazing things during the show there's a very rich fantasy element so the piece is very theatrical um and and has like a lot of humor and and different sorts of exciting emotions and things that happen during the show. It's a very active show. A lot of people have said like, "Oh, I felt like I had ADD when I watched the show," which <laughs> we hope is sure. a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good thing. Yeah. 
But you bring up one thing. I don't know how much your show addresses it, but I certainly feel that we really, as a society, got to stop medicating our kids so much. Well, I don't know that I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that's a pretty blanket sort of statement when what my experience and what my knowledge has been from the people that I've talked to about ADD and Ritalin and other things like that is that sometimes kids are really helped out by medication. And I think it's a case by case basis. And, um, and maybe there's too much like, um, oh, this is the easiest solution. But I know that a lot of kids have a much more profoundly positive experience by by using medication. So what what we decided for our show is that we didn't want to come down one way or another and say, oh, kids should take medicine or they shouldn't take medicine. We just said, you know, this is Adam's decision now that he knows what his life is like without it. And with it, maybe he can make a, a decision that's smart for himself. And that's really what adulthood is like. And, um, and yeah, the, yeah, show, the show's not necessarily kind of about, it's not necessarily about Ritalin or taking Ritalin <laughs> or medication or anything. The Ritalin music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hopefully not. But, um... It just happens to be about a character who takes Ritalin. That's just one of his yeah. character traits. And um, I think a lot of kids can can relate to that right. in one way or another. And whether or not their thing is ADD or, you know, something else, whether it's, you know, just we all have things that make us different and make us feel like an outsider and that we want to be normal um, and we want to fit in and, and belong to something. And I think that's a profoundly huge thing. Uh, that young people want, that we all want, but then we also at the same time have this conflicting side that wants us to be an individual that wants to feel special and unique and important and loved for the person that we are, you know, and all of our our positives and our negatives. And that's really the journey that Adam ends up going through throughout the show. Now, this actually isn't based on existing source material. Right, no, no it's a completely, unless you consider the road not taking yeah. our source <laughs> yeah, material, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I hope no one does. So uh, <laughs> was there a lot of work in terms of getting the plot to sit right? Because, and, and, I mean, one, thing, one, one benefit of source material is that you kind of generally tend to know that you, yeah, know, yeah, you, you have, have an basic outline. structure of a story. We had no idea what we were doing when we started. We had characters that don't even exist anymore. Um, it, it, it was just we knew we wanted to have a fantasy. We were struggling with how to make that something that could come from an organic place instead of just be like, oh, fairies and dwarves are in our <laughs> musical, you know. We wanted something that... And we also wanted it to be for teens. I mean, we were yeah. s- always had that, at, uh, you know, we didn't want right. it to be talking down to them. We didn't want to write something that, you know, they found boring and kind of twee and cliche. Right, we so. wanted to just write something really awesome and inspiring about a lot of teens use teen the word twee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a, a British friend who's a lot of Yeah, no, I mean, we've undergone many, many, many rewrites. And, uh, you know, we were um, at the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at NYU. That's how Danny and I met and became collaborators. And we spent a year working on the show there, and then the last two years since we've graduated, we've been lucky to have a couple opportunities to workshop it further, and now to get to see it staged has been really remarkable. All right, well, let's take a listen to the second song from Great. your demo. Uh, you want to set this one up? Go yeah, for it, Michelle. This is um, a character we, that is mysteriously just known as the Yellow Scooter Girl for the first few scenes uh, that she's in. And she kind of is the first person that sees... Adam's great, amazing potential, and that, and she kind of tells him that she can imagine that he's um, an amazing, creative, wonderful person, and everybody else has been kind of pushing him aside, trying him, trying to get him to be less imaginative and creative, and that sort of thing. And in their art class, she 
labels him as a yellow, which she believes is a very creative color. And so the song is about her describing um, the powers of being a yellow. All right. Everything was nothing, then suddenly a spark. Yellow was the flame, the light that's with the dark. I see something in you like the striking of a match. You are like a fire that no one else can catch. Cause you're yellow like a million sunshines. Yellow like a billion gold mines. Yellow like the moon and stars. And marigolds and lemon bars. You're yellow. Yellow, yellow. It's cool that you're yellow. your fate when you are yellow there's nothing you can't do if you ask me how i know it well i'm the yellow too So I understand that this show has won a couple of awards for you guys. Yeah, we've been so lucky to win <laughs> some awards. Uh, we won the Daryl Roth Award for 2006 um, through our program, and then we also won the Richard Rogers Developmental Award, where we had a, a really great opportunity to have a really nice reading with some great actors and a really great director. And they can catch the show through October 1st, so people listening right? to the show have to, have yep. to move fast. Yep. Yeah. But uh, through the weekend, and it's at the Acorn Theater. Yeah, and that's at Four Ten West, Forty um, Second Street, Theater Row. It's on third Theater floor. Row. That's yeah. right. <laughs> All right. Well, Danny Larson and Michelle Elliott, I thank you so much for coming down and talking about the Yellow Wood and sharing the songs from the production. Thank, thank you. you. Wish you the best of luck. Thank Thanks. you very much. Top of the trades. All right, all right. We all see it when Broadway trots out the B names to entice tourists, but this one actually sounds kind of interesting. Famed vocalist Shaka Khan, R&B singer B.B. Winans, and American Idol finalist Lakeisha Jones are all scheduled to join the New York Company of the Color Purple at the Broadway Theater January 9th, 2008. For tickets, call 212-239-6200. Visit the Broadway Theater box office at 1681 Broadway or visit the website at www.colorpurple.com. We all know they can sing. Well, we'll find out if they can act, too. 
Calling all Democrats, calling all Democrats. <laughs> Political Idol, a new musical review, will begin performances at Off-Broadway's Triad Theater October 30th. After sold-out runs in Washington, D.C. and Chicago, the spoof of the upcoming primary elections will officially open at the Triad on Election Day, November 6th. The Triad Theater is located at 158 West 72nd Street. There is a two-drink minimum and a $25 cover charge. And I guess they're going to check for Democratic registration at the door. Ah, just kidding. Call 212 352-3101 for reservations. Celebrity Autobiography, in their own words, returns to the Zipper Factory October 15th. Uh, we're guessing the title says it all, though we don't know who the celebrities are. Hmm. Maybe it's online at their website. Tickets are scaled at $25 to $45 and are now available by calling Ovation Ticks at 212-352-3101 or online at www.thezipperfactory.com. I hear them calling in the streets. We want more movies turned into musicals. More movies turned into musicals. Producer Jeff Gardner announces a reading of his upcoming Broadway production, Grumpy Old Men, the musical, November 1st and 2nd at a studio in the theater district. That's pretty vague. Uh, visit www.grumpyoldmenthemusical.com for detailed biographies of the creative and production teams and track the progress of the creation of the show. What I'm wondering, is Anne-Margaret going to appear? She could still be the romantic interest for the grumpy old men. That would get me to actually see it, to see Anne-Margaret on stage. Hmm. Well, that's it for Top of the Trades. Till next week, every week, Top of the Trades brings you the top-breaking theater news stories, and it's sponsored by BroadwayWorld.com. For all your theater news and uh, theater social activities, visit BroadwayWorld.com. Curtain Call. Well, unfortunately, there is a closing show this week. September 30th, a new television arrives. Finally closes at Theater 54, 244 West 54th Street, New York City. Tickets are $15 and can be purchased by calling 1-800-838-3006 or visit www.brownpapertickets.com slash event slash 17628. Maybe that's why they're closing. They needed an easier URL. For more info on the show, visit www.anewtelevisionarrivesfinally.com. I just got it. I thought it was A New Television Arrives Finally Closes. No, the show's called A New Television Arrives Finally. Got it. Well, it's been all about nymph, all about nymph, all about nymph. And next week, we got a couple more nymph shows. We might have something else for you, though, too. But we also got a lot of great reviews in the bag and stuff coming up. We've got in the can already. We've got interviews with uh, multiple Tony Award winning producers, Stuart F. Lane. Rachel York is coming in to talk. We got the interviews with the entire touring company of Sweeney Todd. We've got the Upright Cabaret in LA. See, we're breaking out of New York a little bit. We're also going to be talking to Chad Doric of You're the One That I Want, Infamy, who's now appearing in Alter Boys in New York City. Whole bunch more stuff. We expect to get somebody from Xanadu in soon and, uh, all the Broadway stuff is going to be starting up shortly. So, yeah, if uh, if your taste runs to some of the bigger stuff, don't be afraid. Don't be sad. It's coming up soon. Anyway, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hanging around with me this week. Until next week, thanks for catching a ride on the Broadway Bullet. Actually, the barfait thing comes from my whole life. People just going, vulture, boggler.
So it didn't take much, though, when he um, proposed. I said yes. It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.